As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. Not yet a New Year Total Soccer Show. It's that time when you never really know what the date is. Uh, but to help me make sense of not the date, but the Bundesliga is Manuel Vates. I will say hello to Manuel in a second. First, I should say I am Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today is Manuel Vates. Manuel, it's good to have you back on the show. Yeah, it is good to be back. And you know what? It's been quite some time. I know yeah. you guys or you have gone through quite a lot of things. And first of all, um, my condolences, because I haven't been able to say it on the mm. show. I really want to say it on the show. And I was very, very lucky, lucky to meet Daryl a couple times. And, you know, first in, in that time in Düsseldorf, uh, legendary time in Düsseldorf, I have to say. <laughs> One of my favorite Bundesliga trips ever. And um, it was just so fantastic to hang out with you and Daryl. And the, the evening we spent in that bar in Düsseldorf, I don't think I will ever forget. And then, of course, the trip to New York. And mm-hmm. I, I got to meet Daryl, and I feel very fortunate now that I did get to meet him. And he told me in Düsseldorf about what he was going through and um, his optimism at the time. And I thought that was, that was something that really touched me because I really thought, you know, he seemed so sure that he was going to beat it. And it made me very sad when I found out that he might not. And, of course, devastated me when mm-hmm. I learned that he didn't. And... Yeah, I just want to reach out. I mean, first of all, you know, you, my condolences to you, but also to his family, to everyone in the community. I think he was such such a wonderful person. So I wanted to start the show with this before we go into yeah. the important Bundesliga things that are really not that important, aren't they? In the yeah, grand scheme. It, it has, honestly, yeah. There have been those moments of like, I don't know, I can't get so mad about Man United not winning a game. Like, there, there are much bigger things at play in the world. But still, it's important to care about the things yeah. that you do care about, like Manchester United failing to win. But we're not going to talk about them. We can talk about Daryl a little bit more for a moment because, first off, like, I don't know if it's the pandemic that stretches everything out or if it's just because yeah. that it has been such a 
sort of turbulent time for me. But I do sort of forget that there are people like yourself who knew Daryl, met him on a number of occasions, spent a lot of time with him, who haven't yet had the opportunity to sort of talk about him. Uh, I should note Manuel did message me, I think, as soon as I like released that episode and has just been a very supportive friend to both myself and Daryl. Um, and I think Daryl, I should say, like thought very highly of Manuel. I'm saying this to the audience, but also you, Manuel, that like mm-hmm. what happens, I think, on the show sometimes is if I do an interview with somebody like it, it's it's not an official thing we would do, but it would just become like, oh, yeah, Taylor's talking to Manuel. Like, Daryl yeah. doesn't really talk to Manuel. It happened with Adam Bells as well, where Daryl would only be the one to interview him, and I never did. And for a while, I was like, does he think there's a feud here? I don't like that. But, like, people shouldn't mistake that, like, you all weren't on many episodes together because every time I would do a show with you, he would send me 15 questions to ask you. And I think he really <laughs> respected your knowledge. I think he also really respected your, like, healthy debate Daryl was a person who, if he dis- didn't agree with you, would kind of go back at you in a way that I, I o- didn't always do because I was like, eh, what's the point here? Daryl, I think, would try to get to the bottom of things. And I think you have that same mentality where it didn't really get heated. The voices never get raised. It would just be a sort of polite back and forth that was a, a foreign concept to me, schooled <laughs> in the art of debate of like fist banging on the table and, and yelling. I appreciated y'all sort of civil conversations about differing perspectives. Yeah, it was, you know, you feel fortunate when you meet a person like that, right? And when, I mean, when you get spent time with them and when they're gone, um, you appreciate it even more, I think, in some ways that you had that time. And uh, I think that's always, you know, they, 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 they say that that's like when people live on, when people live on in people's memory, that's, that's, that's eternal life. Right. And um, I think we're doing that in many ways and you doing it in the show. And of course, in the many ways that um, he he has all left us with something, Mm. um, you know, and, uh, you know, judging from the outpouring that has been on on soccer Twitter, which is huge, um, is he's had the impact has been enormously positive. And so, yeah, yeah, I think that's always as sad as the passing is, it is wonderful to see that someone like Daryl can have such an enormous, wonderful impact on people. And that's being cherished. And I think that is something that we need to take away in the end of the day, that that's at least positive behind. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really wonderful to see. Yeah. And I think it's it's a thing that I try to keep in mind because I, I do sort of err on the dramatic side and get caught up in moments. And I think there were times when I would message Daryl, like, can you believe this is happening? And he would do three minutes of research and respond with like, well, it's happening because of this and it's not that big of a deal and this is the reason why. And I think that is a thing that I... I think I've said before on the show, but we'll continue to say I would like to honor and keep in mind that the hot take, the fastest take is not often the best take or the most useful take. So I think that's a thing that we will try to honor and continue to honor on the show. So I appreciate you saying that, but I also appreciate that that I think tends to be your perspective with things. I don't hear Mm -hmm. you saying this player is bad. This coach has to go. There's not a lot of like hard lines that I feel like you've drawn that you then – can't sort of back up sometimes you get stuff wrong but so does everybody uh if we go back and listen to the shows in which i've predicted some things that were laughable i would probably hang my head in shame so i appreciate your approach to sort of knowing what's going on figuring out what's going on and then talking about it and that's why i enjoy talking about the bundesliga and the americans in the bundesliga those are the two topics we're going to be looking at today so transitioning us to that conversation i'd like to start with Borussia dortmund because it has Mm. been a long time since you and i spoke Things are different and the same. I think every time you've been on the show since we did that Germany trip, one of the conversation has inevitably featured some question along the lines of, is Lucien Favre the right person for Borussia Dortmund? 
we I think you have long said no. I have long agreed with you. We finally have our answer that he was not. Uh, mm. What do you think was the kind of biggest stumbling block for him at Borussia Dortmund? I would say his personality. Hmm. Okay. And I don't mean that in as negative a way as it sounds, because I think he's a nice, he's, he's a great personality. I've, I've been very fortunate to speak to him many times, and I really like him. I think he's he's a wonderful person. But um, being a wonderful person doesn't necessarily translate into you being the right person at, at, a, at a certain club, right? Or that sense, or, or that the personality that makes you nice in this context doesn't necessarily mean you're the right fit. Um, because like Jürgen Klopp is also a nice guy, but it's a very different personality, right? And I think that is really um, where I think Lucien Favre struggled the most. I mean, you hear stories like um, he would leave journalists baffled at press conferences with his long-winded, complicated answers in his Swiss French German mm. mix um, in, a, in a part of Germany where King, right, in North Rhine-Westphalia. He would give um, speeches to the team with his back to the team while drawing up things on a board, sort of like a teacher, right, mm. at a club that's driven by emotions. Um, he had he had the most profound tactical knowledge that you can imagine, but he could not motivate his players to give 120% for 90 plus minutes. And I think those are the things that are 100% key to not, not just Dortmund, but the entire Ruhrpott in Germany. It's a very emotional part of the country. It's a very football is lift right in a very similar vein than it is in many places in the united kingdom and i don't think he struck that nerve for people there and he was always kind of like this gray personality who was very nice very knowledgeable but sort of like a teacher but he could just not reach the player as players and the fans and i think that's where he ultimately failed so to your understanding, then, if he's trying to, if there's a substitute coming on, if he wants Gio Reyna to come in in the 65th minute and, and uh, perform a certain role, play really well, score a goal, what have you, was it that like when he was communicating his instructions, was it just a very monotone? Was it very academic that made it sort of difficult to get across? Like, What do you yeah. think specifically in his delivery or the way he chose to communicate with the players that like kept him from fully having the impact I think he would have liked? I think it's all very complicated. His his way of communication is very complicated. If it leaves journalists baffled that have been in this job for many years and some of them have high degrees. And I'm not saying that they're smarter than players. Um, they just think differently, right? They, they, they school differently to comprehend. Footballers want a clear and concise message on how to play. And Mats Hummels, who is one of the most experienced players, he put it to the point when they lost 5-1 to Stuttgart. It's like, we're being asked to do all these little things, to play in these channels and do like these movements and all that. And when it works, it's great. But the problem is it doesn't always work. And when it doesn't, then we don't have we don't have the ability to hold on to the ball and protect the ball and protect our play. And that's, I think, because for a lot of these players that were playing, trying to play this sort of football, it was just too much and it was too overcomplicated. It would have been... You know, whenever Dortmund did 
get points in that last stretch in in this first part of the Hinrunde in the Bundesliga, it was always through individual actions, whether it be that goal that Gio Reyna scored against Stuttgart, right? He catches, takes the ball, he does something that is probably not written on Favre's tactical board, and he just hammers the ball home. Or Mokuko's goal just recently, right? Um, granted, that's under Tersic, but it's still under the old coaching philosophy because it takes time for things to change. Or before that, when before Haaland's injury, Haaland would rescue them with a four-goal performance. But that's all individual. That's not tactical. And that teach, shows me that maybe his approach just wasn't direct enough. You have to give players clear and concise language and not overcoach them, right? Um, that's, I think, the, the other thing. And I think he just took it just a bit too far in that regard. I want to ask about the coaching vacancy. I want to stick with this for a moment because I'm wondering if Lucien Favre's inability to communicate with the players, him maybe being uh, overly complicated in his requests for what they're doing, how much of that does explains the sort of downturn in Jaden Sancho's form this season? Still getting minutes, still getting starts, not scoring goals. Why do you think that productivity has decreased and how much of it is Lucien Favre just sort of not being the right manager for him in the right moment? Jane Sancho is an interesting one. We, we've talked quite a bit about it in, on our podcast, the Game Pressing Podcast, right? And Which is excellent. Um, People should listen to that. Because it, is, <laughs> yeah, it is like, this is, I would say, like the Cliff Notes, Spark Notes version of that podcast. <laughs> that podcast is the like 800-page manuscript for all things you need to know. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because like we have we have this discussion a few times now this season, right? Because it's such an obvious mm-hmm. one, and um, I know Chris has his opinions on it, and I have my opinions on it, and I mean, a lot of them are the same. And we know this whole transfer saga, and we know all the ins and outs, and what really happened um, between Manchester Dortmund and uh, Jaden Sancho, or really what didn't happen because there wasn't really much that happened. Um, and I think that was, it is a factor. It's a lot smaller of a factor than I think people make it to be. But I do think the transfer saga um, is a factor. But I also think... You don't think like calling it a saga? No, because it was over on August 10th. <laughs> <laughs> it was As a I short saga. Many times online, on, on your show, and in many other places. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. You know, I, I was told by people that were in charge of the negotiations or lack thereof that exactly what was going on. And that's why I was so confident after August 10th that nothing was happening and nothing did happen. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like if the Odyssey sort of began with like Zeus saying like, yeah, no, you're not going home. And he was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And that was the end of it. It's like, no, it's not over. Yeah. I still roll with eyes when you hear all these other versions yeah. and it's, it's just, no, um, there was a deadline on August 10th. There was no call made. Maybe Manchester United thought that they like could negotiate something, but there was never any approach made. So that's not a saga. You, mm-hmm. you know, bidding wars, like going back and forth with offers. Those are saga. The player striking and he didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. He didn't. He knew exactly what was going to happen and he was fine with it. Right. Um, and the Dortmund were always really clear. So I don't think it's the transfer saga. I think something is happening. I think that he obviously has a fitness problem. And I think that's very much apparent. He's not having the sort of ability to outthink. His his head moves faster than his legs at the moment. Mm. And it's very obviously when you watch it on the field. And that um, could have a number of reasons. I know that he is not, um, he like many of us, he feels the crunch of the pandemic because 
in the past when he was unhappy, and there was many occasions where he was, Dortmund would put him on a plane and fly him home to Manchester or to, to, to England, right? And he could hang out with his mates. But COVID-19 means that's not a reality at the moment. And that's horrible for a young person, right? I mean, we have to remember this kid is 20, right? Not going to be able to go home on a whim and see the bodies. I, yeah, that's kind of sucks. And, and, you know, that would weigh on you mentally. And you see it. And then you have to also just remember that he's 20. Yeah. Kids in that age will go through ups and downs. And his playing style, as fantastic as it is, um, you know, you opponents scout players. You know, players are made out of glass these days and they will know what he can do. So they, they of course, there's much more focus on him. And then when the other parts around you are not moving quite so well, then, you know, it's it's an accumulation of things. And I think Jaden Sancho, he it, it will make go click and it will come back. We will see it, right? But I think there's a lot of small things going on at the moment in his life that are just weighing down on him. And when you are 20 years old, that's just A-OK to be in that state. That's a fair That's answer. just my yeah. personal opinion. No, right? I, we shouldn't we shouldn't crunch those those kids because it happens. It's been 13 games. That's not even that long. No, it's not. Uh, but it is long enough for us to know, I think, as you've said, that there were lots of little things going wrong for Dortmund on and off the field. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh what do you think or who do you think is most likely to replace uh, Tom or not Thomas Tuchel? That was another question I had uh, to replace Lucien Favre. And who do you think would do the best job? Who do you think is the best candidate? But who do you think maybe they'll end up hiring? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, this is this is a good one. I think it will be Marco Rosa is the favorite to get the job. I know that Marco Rosa has an exit clause at Borussia Mönchengladbach that will make it possible for them. I do think he is a perfect fit. Um, I do wonder if he is ready to move on quite yet because this is his second year. Um, but I do think he's a great fit. Then there's Jesse Marsh. Um, I know he's very high in the ranking within the Dortmund hierarchy as well as, as someone that they really value. And they value um, his character, right? All the things that we talked about Lucien Favre earlier, um, the things that... The, the, the lack of passion, the whole like the gray mentality kind of thing that he oozes. Um, Jesse Marsh doesn't have that. And you could really, you could imagine Jesse Marsh going there and bringing all that oomph mm -hmm. that the club is missing at the moment. 
I think what they are worried about is the whole transition from the Austrian Bundesliga, where he arguably has done a fantastic job, um, where he has, I mean, Salzburg were only one game away, each of the group stages to get out of the group stage. Um, Very bit unfortunate, I think, in both of those campaigns. But he has done a fantastic job year in and year out, replacing all these fantastic players that he has there with new fantastic players that he has been bringing up. Um, granted, with the help of a fantastic scouting system, right, and development system in his back. But they do wonder if they he could make that step from Austria straight to one of the top clubs in the Bundesliga. Grose, who was in the same position in Jesse Marshall's and now, went to Gladbach first, had two years there, and then potentially is going to make the jump. It's easier, right? Another person that has been making his rounds is Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I personally can't see that happening. Um, it would surprise me for two reasons. A, Nagelsmann's personality and the Borussia Dortmund board would be a Tuchel 2.0. It would be causing problems all the time because Nagelsmann, if he's unhappy or he doesn't disagree with you, he will tell you. Uh, I, I've had this experience myself at a press conference several times. Um, he will have full-on discussions with you. And so he, he's no he the definitive manager who doesn't want to be told. If if you begin yeah. your question with like, obviously, if they lose 5-0 and you say, obviously, the game didn't go the way you wanted, is he the one to interject to be like, no, actually, we had plans for how we would lose 5-0? No, it, it, he would get hung up on a certain word that I use. I see. And then would explain to you what that word really means. I see. <laughs> I just once fun. got an economic lesson bet- um, for, for the difference between being effective and efficient. Ah, all right. Mm-hmm. I now know the difference quite well because I had um, Mr. Nagelsmann teach me. <laughs> um, this is from, you know, I'm, I, I'm 34. So, you know, the, the age difference doesn't make me feel offended. But now have a 34-year-old Nagelsmann tell a 60-year-old Watzke the difference between effective and efficient. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's the reason why he didn't end up Bayern for that very reason. Yeah. You know, they didn't they didn't want to have his they didn't want to have that like school teacher mentality. They didn't like it. Uh, and in Which Leipzig one? it works, right? Because it is it's it's almost like a think tank rather than a football club. Right? Um, Which they one want Bayern, personalities like that there. Which one of Bayern liked him? Hmm? Wasn't it like one liked him, one didn't between Uli Hoeneß and Rummenigge? Rummenigge, I liked him. Hoeneß thought he was still too. Oh no, I think it's the other way around. Um, I think Hoeneß every time. Yeah, Hoeneß um, thinks really highly of him, and Rummenigge didn't quite agree. Um, I mean, I think it could still happen, maybe ten, fifteen years from now. But I think they just think that he is just too young at the moment, um, and I think there would be just too many clashes between the players and and the, and. The, the players and the coach and the coach and the, the board and all that because of the age difference. But at Leipzig, that doesn't matter because, you know, he he works in a laboratory there because there is not that football car doesn't exist. The sporting director is his age. The CEO is in his, in his mid-40s and um, comes from a different sport. So, like, has a diff, totally different um, totally different background. Oliver Minzlaff, who I think very highly of. And they, they like that kind of culture of, active discussions in Leipzig, right? It's a, the Red Bull system is designed that way. But that would not work in Dortmund. And also he comes from a Red Bull club, which yeah. the fans would just arcades. It would be different from Marsh because it's a different league. But if we come straight from Leipzig, you know, fans don't often, but you, you get the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and Marco Rose would also, also Red Bull coach, but 
stuff before. So it would be also okay, right? As I said, fans don't always make sense. But I think that Griezmann, I think Dortmund are sort of eyeing him up, but I just can't see that fit. Um, yeah. And I do think that Rose is prob- it's probably Rose's job to lose. It's really his decision whether to take it or well, I, I just think it really comes down to him. And then it, it will depend on, you know, um, Dortmund will go from there. So I think the thing that I find confusing about some of those names you've mentioned, Nagelsmann and Rosa, is that when I, like my brain works in groupings, not saying this is the correct way to do it, but I think of the Bundesliga as being Bayern Munich in that top, top tier, and they're by themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there's this kind of group underneath them of Leipzig, Dortmund, Gladbach, Leverkusen. So to hear that, two of the clubs I just mentioned, their managers are linked with another one of those clubs vacancy. Like it seems like more of a lateral move, I guess is what I'm asking. And I'm realizing though that like Mm -hmm. Dortmund probably have more money than Gladbach, probably have more appeal than Leipzig. But how much of a vertical move would that be for either of those two gentlemen to move from Leipzig for Nagelsmann or from Gladbach for Rosa? Yeah, I don't think um, Dortmund are above all those other clubs okay. in stature and money and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's changing because I think Leipzig are breaking into that. And um, I think we all know that Leipzig's goal is to be the number one mm-hmm. thing. Um, they want to win the Champions League. I mean, they came close already um, last season. And I think that's their goal. They want to be consistency in the top four in Europe. And they will get there eventually. They're just not doing it the Manchester City way by breaking FFP. I mean, sorry, uh, <laughs> sort of complying with FFP rules. Um, <laughs> you know, they're doing it slower because they have to, because the UEFA is keeping a much closer eye on them than they're doing on uh, Manchester City. Um and therefore, the growth is much slower, but it's a, it's more, much more consistent. And you see the gap closing every year between it. Has certain, I think it has closed to Dortmund, mm-hmm. um, which is probably another reason why Nagelsmann doesn't want to go to Dortmund, because the trajectory is quite clear where Leipzig are going. You know, you give Leipzig another five, six years and they will be in the same category as Bayern. And um, that's because they they will always make money, right? Because of who they own by and the structure and the way they are. Um, operating is is just putting them into a very good spot, but at the moment Dortmund are just behind Bayern, and um, that's I think what's frustrating a lot of people in the club hierarchy is the financial gap between Dortmund and the rest of the league is quite substantial, um, and the gap between Bayern and Dortmund is also there's also a gap, but it's not quite it's not as big as the gap between Dortmund and the rest of the league, and I think Dortmund are seeing the fact that they probably gambled away the last three German championships. Mm-hmm. Because they should have won at least one of those, you know. And Bayern gave them every single opportunity that Dortmund could take. They probably last year on the flick, that second half, Bayern were the best team in the world. I think it's hard to dispute that. And they probably wouldn't have won that one. But the year before that and the year before that, the door was as open as it ever could be. And they didn't walk through it. And, um, you know, that's... That's I think that's something that really frustrates Borussia Dortmund because like them walking through that door and winning the title maybe once or twice, a gives a very gives the rest of the world a very different perspective on the Bundesliga and the league it is, mm-hmm. but also changes the perspective on what Dortmund are as a club, right? Because right now everyone sees them in someone who doesn't follow the Bundesliga closely thinks, oh yeah, they're just like Leverkusen, Gladbach, and Leipzig, and <laughs> you I don't mean? fault them for that, but I <laughs> yeah. don't fault them for that because like, yeah, what have they won to, to show differently? 
right? Yeah, I think that's that's what sticks out to me is like they they certainly have more name recognition. I probably if I were re- revising my groups, it would be Bayern at top. Then there's like a second group with Dortmund and maybe Leipzig creeping in, and then there's others behind them. But I think it's yeah, it's the lack of silverware, the fact that they keep moving players on. It feels like there's there's not yet that consistency you need to reach that top level. They do have some players performing well, obviously, one of whom would be Gio Reyna. I wanted yeah. to ask you about him for a second because things are obviously fairly bleak at Dortmund right now. Not bleak in terms of they're in the relegation zone. We'll talk about Schalke later. Uh, but just that maybe th- things have not gone according to plan. For Reyna, though, 10 starts, 3 goals, a-, a decent kind of first half to the season. What have you made of his time this year? And have you seen development from him? Are there things you think he's doing better? Or are there things you think he still very much needs to work on? Wonderful player. Wonderful player. I mean, he will be America's number 10. He will be the best player America will ever have produced. Um, I'm saying that right now, you know, there's a huge hype on Christian Pulisic. He will overshadow anything that Christian Pulisic will ever do. He is um, incredible. When you watch him play and the things that he's doing on the field at his age, um, at a confidence level that is anything short of impressive. Uh, I think I, I, I... I don't think we quite, we have to realize he's what, 18 now, right? Um, he's just turned 18 because he signed his first professional contract. Right. So that's, that's, that's the category that we're thinking in. And, uh, he's, you know, he's producing numbers that, um, at a club that hasn't always done well uh, at a remarkable consistent level. Even when Dortmund are playing badly, he plays well. And I think that is, that is something that, I personally find remarkable. Um, you know, there is there's a reason why someone like Erling Haaland calls him the American dream. You know, when great players love playing with other players, there's a reason for that. And yeah, I think, uh, in my opinion, um, where he will be, he will be U.S. man's national team number ten, mm. and there won't even be a debate about it because it's not even close, right? Uh, I've seen both Pulisic and Reyna at the same age playing at Dortmund and. I, I think Reyna, uh, when we track players uh, at Transfermarkt, I mean, I think he's already reaching levels that will put him into the top five in CONCACAF as an 18-year-old. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. You know, he's going to be at Alfonso Davies level soon. And, um, yeah, I think if he stays fit, and that's always the big one, right? It has mm-hmm. to stay fit. And that's I think that's what's, that's Pulisic's biggest problem. He just doesn't have, doesn't seem to be having the body that keeps you fit for that 100% season that you need to really reach the greatest level. Sort of kind of like an Arian Robin kind of scenario, right? Um, I think if Reyna stays fit, he's going to be one of the best number 10s in the world. And I I, I absolutely 100% mean that. I think you may have already answered this then, but I just wanted to clarify for a moment. Do you think any of what Reyna has done this season is manager dependent? Like, is there an argument that he is benefiting no. from a good relationship with Favre and that a new manager maybe doesn't play him regularly or doesn't start doesn't him? Or do you matter. think it we'll, doesn't matter? All right. Doesn't matter who manages Reyna. Same with Haaland. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> These players are so good. They're just like, and the thing is, too, the infrastructure at Dortmund is so good to get the best out of players, right? And that's not trained, that's not head coach dependent. That's like, you look at the youth infrastructure that they have and the, 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 the soccer now that they have, for example, that trains players and it, it gets the best out of them. And it's like, it's such a, it's a place where you can really focus on the sport specifically. And the fact that he's on a long-term contract and the, 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 the right players around him and the, 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 the people that he plays with, 
yeah, his his development is going to go through the roof. And I, I think we're going to have him maybe in the Bundesliga for another three, four years. And then he's going to go to someone like really big. I mean, I'm talking really big. I'm not talking, you know, um, somewhere top four in the Premier League. I mean, like maybe like a Barcelona or Real Madrid or Bayern Munich, like one of those really big categories of clubs. And that's because that's the kind of player he's going to become. I think um, we're going to be blown away by the things that he will be doing in the next 10 years. All right. You've made me very, very hyped about one American, so I appreciate that. Let's see if you can do the same about another one. Uh, let's move to RB Leipzig for a moment. Uh, they've been in terrific form since late November, currently sit third in the table, uh, obviously still alive in the Champions League. Tyler Adams has been getting minutes, mostly from the bench. In your opinion, is his lack of consistent starts more likely a result of any deficiency, deficiencies in his game or things he's not doing that Nagelsmann wants him to be doing? Or is it more so that Kevin Campbell and Marcel Sabitzer are just incredibly important to that team? I know that uh, Julian Nagelsmann lost Tyler Adams and calls him his quarterback, right? I think that, um, unfortunately, Tyler just, like, has some issues with fit with fitness. And that's not always the athlete's fault, right? Um, that's just sometimes it's genetics, um, you know. And that that's unfortunately not much you can do about it. But uh, I do know that Julian Nagelsmann is very high on Tyler Adams. And anyone who sees Tyler Adams plays play knows you know that i am very high on tyler adams i've spoken to him many times and i think he's one of the nicest personalities in in football period um he will it's one of the best interviews in the business um because he's honest and honesty is not something that you always get and i think that is also something that nagelsmann really likes because nagelsmann likes to give honest opinions especially when you ask him not the smartest questions in a press conference i heard learned this the hard way um but tyler adams is someone who i really always appreciate talking to because you will ask him a question even one that is slightly controversial and he will give you an honest answer and i think that's great right and he doesn't censor himself like many other athletes do and i think that's a really wonderful thing and he always makes time, you know, even when he's hurried and he has to race to the pre- to the mix zone. If I ask him if he has just a few minutes, he'll say, yeah, OK, just a couple of answers. And then he will stand, spend 10 minutes with you. Yeah. Right. Who, who does that these days? And I think that's just a, a wonderful attribute. And I know and I, and I love watching him play. I think he has he has this ability to make players around him better. Um, because he has these, he is almost like Thiago esque, right? With his control on the ball and his ability to move on the ball. And um, his passing rate is just fantastic. But I think he just sometimes still gets betrayed by his body a little bit. But um, that is something that I think he he will will be able to control. So it's not his lack of minutes is not uh, an underappreciation by Leipzig. Um, it is really just the manage, managing his his playing time. And I know this season in particular. They have been very careful about this at Leipzig, more so than in other clubs, um, because of the volume of games that Leipzig have played. Remember, this is a team that reached the semifinal of the Champions League in August, right? Um, short break, and they went straight back into. They, they're facing exactly the same issues that Bayern Munich are facing, where they're, they're dropping points because they're being overplayed. And, um, you know, this is, this is, I think, something where we have to really say, okay, well, he's only coming off the bench, or he's playing only half the game here. But matter of fact is he's also played like, what, 52 games in, yeah. you know, 40 weeks. <laughs> that's a lot of football. So I think that's really what it comes down to. Is there a chance at all that he needs maybe more Americans around him to, to do better things, to <laughs> stay fitter? And if so, do you see that happening anytime soon? Well, it is Caden Clark coming. There right? we go. Um, Let's talk about that. <laughs> 
I'm really excited about this move because I think anyone who's seen Caden Clark play this year, uh, we've spoken about one number 10 already. Let's talk about another one who's going to going to be a fantastic player if his if, if his trajectory holds, and I think it will, because um, he, he's he's a great 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 player. Um, love watching play in MLS this year. Very excited that uh, from from what it sounds like, he's going to Leipzig next. Um, I asked Ty, Tyler Adams about it, and um, apparently Tyler uh, helped him out when he came visited Leipzig. So he's already been to Leipzig and then signed for New York Red Bulls afterwards and. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the contract is structured in a way that it has a clear pathway to Leipzig, um, which makes sense in a lot of ways, right? Yes. Um, I did catch Caden Clark just before I went on my Christmas holiday. There's a piece out on Transfermarkt where um, we did this year, we did every day, we did a talents, cal- talents calendar, you know, like an advanced calendar. Mm-hmm. Every day a door open when we featured a talent and uh, we featured him on December 23rd, which is quite a prominent spot to get. Yeah. Um, the 24th day was for the, the German talent that we use, right? And it's a German-based homepage, but um, our U.S. talent was the 23rd. And uh, I had a chance to interview um, Caden. Um, I sent him some questions. And, yeah, it's really interesting to hear back from him. And he seems like someone who has a really clear idea of what kind of player he wants to be and where he wants to go in his career. And I asked him, for example, because he ranks sixth, amongst the most valuable U18 playmakers in the in the world. And I asked him about that and he's like, well, why not be number one, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the kind of cash, the kind of answer that you get from him. And um, yeah, I think he's he's going to be in 2022, I think is when they, when they want to bring him over to Leipzig. And I think it's going to be um, really nice to see him play there because I think he would complement that t- team very well. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. So we're excited about Tyler Adams. We just need him to stay fit. We're excited about Caden Clark moving there. One other uh, recent arrival I wanted to ask about is Alexander Sorloth, who is not American, but is interesting mm-hmm. to me. Uh, no goals so far in the league. Goals scored can sometimes be an unfair metric for a new arrival. How has he been with his new club? Yeah, it's been a mixed bag. I guess the jump from the Super League in Turkey is a lot bigger mm-hmm. than we thought. And um, because he scored bucket loads there, but yep. wasn't that great at Crystal Palace, right? So, and the Bundesliga and Premier League are probably the two closest leagues in the world. The most comparable, right? Because the level is about the same. Um, the style of football is very similar. It's, it's only in nuances that they play a little bit different. I would say that the lower teams in the Bundesliga have a more tactical approach, whereas the lower teams in the Premier League have a more physical approach. But the idea is generally the same. Um, and he is struggling. I have an opinion on this. I think that Leipzig botched that signing um, because they they brought in a type of striker where they really didn't know if he was going to replace Timo Werner. And obviously, he's not a Timo Werner replacement because it's a very different type of player. And the fact that went out and signed Dominic Soboslai from from Salzburg, right? And they, they have that ability to just go and pick teams from other Red Bull clubs and take them. That's the reality of the business. You can hate or love that, but that's just how it is, right? But they didn't sign another number nine, which makes me think that Nagelsmann is going to probably change the way he's going to play. Whether or not that is a positive for Solot, that really will depend on him. He will have to learn to play and what Nagelsmann's system is like, and it's really hard to learn. Um, what was really telling for me was when... Nagelsmann opted to play Forsberg as a number nine. And that shows you that, and Forsberg did really well playing as a number nine, right? Um, scored against Bayern. I believe he scored against Manchester uh, Manchester United, um, if I'm not mistaken, and um, helped Man- Leipzig eliminate Manchester United. Sorry about that, Tyler. I had to mention <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I was just going to be quiet. I was just going to be quiet. <laughs> but it shows you that, you know, even though he's an expensive signing, He's not working out, so Nagelsmann will just go and he will take one of the other players and he 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 will not take compromises for that, right? So for Solo, that that means he will have he will have to put in work because it has been a disappointment. And as you can say, okay, well they didn't bring in an, another number nine, and they signed another attacking midfielder instead. But that could also indicate that one of the other players that are playing in that attacking midfield, someone like Danny Olmo, right? Or uh, Emil Forsberg who are quite happily to playing striker as well, could be converted to play that role instead because they're pretty good at it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I think Solot will have to start going soon. Um, otherwise, he Nagelsmann takes no prisoners. We'll just move on with a different system and different players, and he doesn't care about price tags. We... we- Tweeted a little bit. You tweeted, I responded, about that Soboslai moved from Salzburg to Leipzig. My assertion was that that meant uh, a fairly sizable door was going to be open for Brendan Aronson. I just wanted to ask you quickly if that is – if you would agree with that, basically. Does that sort of move for Soboslai open the opportunity for Brendan Aronson to go in and get meaningful minutes fairly quickly on? I knew that when Brendan Aronson deal was confirmed, Mm -hmm. I knew that meant Soboslai is going to leave. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
it was really only a question of whether it was going to happen in January or in the summer. And I knew it was going to be to Leipzig. Yeah? That's why I laughed when I was uh, tweets about Milan, Arsenal, all that kind of stuff. It was all funny. I, I thought it was hilarious. But because <laughs> that pathway was clear. You know, it was, it was everyone, you know, everyone in Germany knew that this, this is how it was going to go. Um, but for me, it made sense. Brandon Aronson was always going to be the player that was going to replace Dominic Soboslai, right? It makes so much sense. They're not exactly one, one player. Um, of course, in, in Germany and Austria, they mentioned all these other kids that Salzburg have that are all very good, like Karim Ademi, for example, right? It's a very, very young, talented player. Uh, there's someone like Berisha, for example, who has done really well, but it was a very different type of player. It's, it's Brandon Aronson is supposed to fill that void. And he will have to do it soon because, like, obviously, January, um, I think player registration in Europe starts January 2nd this year. So that's when he will come in and the, the, the season is relentless this year, right? It, it keeps basically right away going. Um, so for him, this is a massive opportunity. Um, to have this opportunity to do it right away and to play in the Europa League as well, right? Um, which was also the oh, determining yeah. factor for for Sobosly to leave in um, in January rather than the summer. It was always going to be that if Salzburg managed to survive in the Champions League um, into the into the new year, then Sobosly was going to finish the year in Salzburg and then move to Leipzig in the summer. But because Leipzig survived in the Champions League and Salzburg didn't. They opted to make that change because now you can register players, right, that have already played for another club. They changed that rule. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, right? So it made sense. Um, they were basically, and this sounds so horrible, and a lot of fo- football um, traditionalists will hate this, but that's just the reality of it now, right? They basically moved one of, one of their prize assets from one club to another. Right? Yeah. Um, that's the world we live yeah, in. Yeah, that's how it is. I mean, when you have like seven in. clubs named Red Bull or RB, I, I think that's probably the way it's always going to go. So, so Leipzig yeah. gaining a player, Salzburg gaining a player. Let's talk about uh, Bayern Munich for a moment. Let's round out like the first 45 minutes of this show. I don't even know where we're at at this point, but we should probably mention Bayern <laughs> Munich pretty quickly uh, because it seems likely that David Alaba will be playing for a new club this summer. Basically, what's happening there? Why has this happened? Because he felt like a player who would be there for... Long term, he'd be a Philip Lahm or a Joshua Kimmich who would just be there forever. Now it does not seem like that's how it's going to go. So what's the latest? What's happened? Uh, so I'm still not convinced he's actually going to leave. Okay. Um, I mean, it is quite possible, obviously. There has been a major breakdown in communication between the Alaba camp and um, Bayern Munich, which I personally think is very unfortunate because um, David Alaba is – an institution there, right? He, he comes from the youth academy, joined Bayern Munich at 15 from Austria, Vienna, and he is the he's the last player um, to emerge from the academy uh, and play for the first team. Um, of course, now a bunch of new kids have made it: Musiala, Sirksi, and all these kids. You know, this year has been has been very good for the academy. But before the Alaba was the last one, and to lose him. Um, is not something that Bayern wanted, but I think they're willing to let let happen because it's more about proving a point to them. Um, this is a club that's not fueled by an oligarch. It's, it's a club that's not fueled by a major investor. It's not a club that's fueled by the state, right, or a state. Um, and it's not a club that can run a massive deficit 
um, and get bailed out by a state. You can put all the dots together and figure out which other clubs are meant by saying that. Um, so they are saying this is our hard-earned money. And we're not going to give you 125 million euros of our hard-earned money over the next five years in an era of COVID-19. It's just not going to happen. It's just not realistic. We can't pay you 20 million a year and also give you agent another 25. That's, it's See, just not yeah. the reality of the situation that the world is in at the moment. And that's really what it boils down to. And then there's a bunch of back and forth. Um, Alaba's agent is Pini Sahavi. Um, Google him. You find all sorts of nice things about him. Mm -hmm. um, he's also Robert Lewandowski's agent. And Bayern obviously uh, arm wrestled Lewandowski into a deal that Lewandowski is probably very happy now because if he hadn't stayed at Bayern, he'd probably never been the world's best footballer. Um, but, you know, it's sort of, there has always been a kind of very difficult relationship between Sahavi and Bayern Munich, um, a lot of things said that are not so nice about each other, obviously, as well. Um, some questionable things, too. But I think it really comes down to the fact that Alaba's camp is asking for a lot of money. And I think we can all agree that right now that kind of money is just not possible. And it will be really interesting to see. I mean, um, The Athletic ran an exclusive, I believe, on um, Alaba having contact with Real Madrid. And that's true. Um, a lot of us know that Zinedine Zidane is a big fan of David Alaba, has phoned him many times, and there is a significant interest from Real Madrid to sign David Alaba. The reality is, though, Real Madrid falls in the category of a club with massive deficit that gets regularly bailed out by the state, but that's just not happening right now either, right? I don't know if Real Madrid can just shell 125 million euros on one player, even if he's without a contract. And that's where we're at. And that's why I'm not 100% convinced the final word is spoken on this yet. If you were to leave, though, uh, you mentioned some of the young players that have been getting minutes, have been coming through. One of those, I'm assuming, would be Chris Richards. How mm -hmm. much do you think David Alaba, David Alaba leaving opens the door? Is Richards sort of poised to make that first team breakthrough? Or do you still think he's got some time, maybe alone, more likely? Well, this is the chance now, right? COVID opens the doors for young players because there's five substitutions. Um, I think he's been getting plenty of playing time, probably a lot more than than we anticipated. Again, we're not at the halfway point of the season. We're in match day 13, right? Because it, it's all kind of odd this yeah. year because of scheduling. Um, and I think he's actually getting good numbers of playing time for a 20-year-old defender, right? Defenders develop a little little slower than attacking players because a final mistake by Ding usually means a goal against you. Whereas an attacker making a mistake is a mischance, which can be fixed. And um, that's why Jamal Musiala is getting so much more playing time than Chris Richards. The, 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 the margins of error are just much bigger. I, I like Chris Richards a lot. I think he is a player that deserves a chance at Bayern Munich. And I think he will get a chance at Bayern Munich. I think he will get more playing time and, um, it will be interesting to see what Bayern Munich are doing if they are going to lose not just David Alaba, but also Jerome Boateng, um, you know, could also leave on a free free deal. Although there has been talks now that they might extend that. Um, Jerome Boateng, I think, has really resurrected his career under Flick, um, gone from a player who was mm -hmm. out to one who has been one of the most stable um, really like him. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what is going to happen to those two players, right? And what Bayern are going to do in response of maybe those two players leaving because they haven't been super happy with Niklas Süle either because of fitness issues. 
So um, that opens the door for young players, but it also probably means that they're going to do something in the summer as well and bring someone in. And um, that's going to be an interesting development. And I think there's ample of opportunities for young players right now to, not just for Chris Richards, there's a couple other ones in the academy that um, have already played for Bayern who are saying, okay, well, this is, this is a chance now. It's probably never been easier for an academy player to get into the first team at Bayern than it is right now. And, you know, this, this is this is what you need to do. If you're Chris Richards, you have to take that opportunity and you have to grab it and you have to hang on to it and try to get those minutes and uh, stick it out and show, show the decision makers at Bayern that you can be a long-term viable solution. And it does feel like what Masiala is doing slash trying to do, maybe at the expense of Leroy Sané. Uh, in Bayern's 2-1 win over Leverkusen, Sané uh, comes on in the first half for an injured Kingsley Coman, then substituted in the second half. Raphael Honigstein, I want to start here. Raphael Honigstein used the word... Hoxestrafa, I think is what it was. Hoxestrafa. There yeah, it is. I was okay. Gonna, I used that too on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's what we call Hoxestrafa. What, um, what is this word? Talk talk us through it. Um, it's the biggest punishment. It's like the or the most severe punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call it when you when you were brought on and then taken off again. That's called Hoxestrafa. Um, it's, I think in this case, you know, it's, it, it, Flick said it was tactical reasons. I, I think Sané played like uh, he was under the weather, to be mm-hmm. nice about it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he just hasn't been up to the standard that we expect from him. And I think that at Bayern Munich, things are a little bit different than in other clubs that if you don't play well, you get taken off, especially under Hansi Flick. I don't think he takes any prisoners there. And um, I think Leroy Sané finds himself in a situation where he's been at a very good club with a very good reputation and he's now gone to an elite elite club and it's just a bit different. And I think he has to learn and um, he's either going to learn quick or, you know, Bayern, it doesn't matter how much he costs. Look at, look, look at Lucas Hernandez. He was the world's most expensive defender and um, lost his position to Alfonso Davies. Right. And yeah. that can go very quickly there. But but to to your point about him moving from Man City, like Pep Guardiola doesn't, Guardiola doesn't strike me as a person who puts up with a lot and is willing to like bend over backwards to indulge a player. It seems like things went pretty south pretty quickly there and yeah. stayed that way until he moved. Then he moves to Bayern, where it's expected that it will be the greener pasture, everything will work better, and it doesn't seem to be. At what point is it maybe a a problem with the player versus a problem with the situation of the player? It's a very good question, and um, it's a debate that I know they had at Bayern Munich internally um, for many months. Hmm. You know, when they discussed whether to go for Leroy Sané or Timo Werner or Kai Havertz or all three or just one of them, and then COVID struck, and they got a very good deal for Leroy Sané. I mean, they offered, um, they were willing to pay 110 million euros last year, and they got him for 50 million this year. (laughs) You know, they got a very good deal on him, and that's ultimately, I think, what swayed them. Um, to go that route over all the other options that they had. Um, but it's it's a very good question because I know that internally there was debate about the people that Leroy Sané hangs out with, his agency, the fact that he switched agency halfway through the negotiations and complicated things, um, the fact that there was problems with Pep Guardiola. Um, I spoke to a couple of people at Bayern that were very well informed about the situation and they, they thought that that would actually be a deal breaker when it comes to Leroy Sané and ultimately it didn't turn out to be one, but it showed you that, that those discussions took place, right? And I think those people are getting vindicated a little bit at the moment. 
because they see the things that are happening with Leroy Sané and um, they say, well, we always knew he would be difficult. We always knew he was a bit of a bad apple. But, you know, um, he tore his ACL. And that's a serious injury. And it's an injury that I sustained an ACL injury myself. I know it's, it's a very, very serious injury. And it is psychologically harder than um, the hardest part about it is coming back from it psychologically, um, trusting the joint again. And it's not like when you sprain an ankle, you know, your knee is something that has to move in four different directions at high speed all the time. And uh, an ACL injury is one of the most painful things that you will ever experience. And so it, it's in the back of your head. And I think that's something that we have to remember too, that A, he, he's come back from that. It's only really been a year since he started playing. And they always say it takes about as long to come back to the highest level that you were playing previously than the, than the, the time that you were out before that, right? Um, Neuer is a great example. He was out for one year, took an entire season to just reach his level, and now is one of the best players, keepers in the world again. And I think Leo Sané is in that same category. We have to remember that he had a major injury. Then he moved clubs. Then COVID happened. We were only on match day 13. There's a lot of games. And he's at Bayern Munich now. And I think um, when you look at all those things, I would just give it just a little bit more yeah. time. Yeah, and then we go back to some of the conversations we had earlier about how young these players are and how you've got to give them a little bit of leeway. So maybe there are reasons to be optimistic about Leroy Sana turning it around and becoming that player that we know he could be. I have slightly less optimism about Werder Bremen. That's my transition to talking about them for a moment. And it's not even like necessarily – I don't mean it to be that negative. It's just I, I have tried to watch them several times because I want to see what they're doing. I want to see how Josh Sargent yeah. is doing. And usually within 10 minutes, I'm sort of like this is, this is not the way I want to spend my free time. There are other games to watch. And it's a question that is sort of – it's an obvious one, but it's one I don't think you and I have discussed. Basically, w what has happened to Werder Bremen? Because there was a time when they were good. They won the Bundesliga in the early 2000s. They went deep in the DFB Pokal, I think, as recently as like 2010, which is still 10 years ago. But it's still a club that for a while were competing. They had big names. They were doing big things. Why have they fallen off to such an extent? What would it take for them to have a resurgence? Yeah. I feel like this could be um, an entire like book so I apologize. I often ask you questions that I think could be the, the rise and fall books. of Werder Bremen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Make it into a three-parter. Um, yeah, I think the one on the Roman Empire is, I think, ten, yep. a thousand pages each. But um, <laughs> yeah, let's not go that far. So let's not, not, go, not go that far. We, I don't think we have time for that today. But uh, it's it's really a mechanism of the football world having changed economically drastically in the last 20 years and the fact that Bremen isn't a structurally strong city financially right um it's a small market town oh, I didn't know that right? okay so it's it's not a huge it's 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 a small town in the shadow of Hamburg right mm -hmm. in many ways so Bremen have always kind of punched above their weight nowadays though it's all about the corporate money that you have in your city it's about selling the VIP boxes. It's about commercial money that comes in. And that's something that hurts Bremen quite a bit. It's a beautiful city, by the way. It's a small, it's a beautiful town. Um, I had the chance to go and go to the stadium and it's treated really well. It's a beautiful stadium too. It's a big stadium. Um, the stadium is much bigger than you would expect for a city of that size. But that's just the reality. And um, I mean, we have we have situations like that in America, right? Buffalo is a great example of that. A sm typical small market town that punches above mm -hmm. its weight in so many ways, right? 
Um, Green Bay is another one, right? So sort of that's the code of category that you have to think of when you think about Bremen. And um, and I think that's really important to keep put in context. They were able to punch off above their weight for so many years because football was a different game. But now it's changed. Economic interests matter. Having big business supporting your club matters. Selling out your corporate boxes, selling out the, the 60 corporate boxes is worth more money than selling 10,000 standing tickets, right? And those are the things that define the strength of a club in so many ways, not just in Germany, but in every country in the world and every sport in the world. And I think that's really where Bremen have struggled. And that's why Werder are struggling because it's just the financial backing isn't there. And they were able to punch above the weight because they would always finish in the top four. So they got that Champions League money coming in. But once they did not, then they tried to get back into that. And, you know, then it becomes the cycle of trying to catch up. And it's just it just didn't happen for them. So without the corporate money, without the Champions League money, they just were not able to do it. And getting back into that top four level, look at Arsenal right now in the, in the Premier League, right? Once you're out of that top four, it's really hard to get back in. And that's what pretty much happened to Werder Bremen. So with their status being what it is, and Josh Sargent being a sort of key performer for them this season, how do you think he's viewed by other clubs in the Bundesliga? Like, if if they're looking for a striker, do you think Josh Sargent fits the bill, or is he sort of getting the opportunities he is because of the sort of downfall of Werder Bremen? I do think that he's at the right club at the moment because okay. he's getting playing time. Um, you know, and Werder are a lot better this year than they were last year. Um, I mean, last year, I was certain they would get relegated and they did not. Um, you know, the miracle of, of the miracle of the visa has struck again and they, they managed to get out of the out of the situation. And, you know, at the last moment, pretty much he's getting lots of minutes this year. And I know he's not scoring a lot of goals, um, but you have to see and watch the way he's playing and the way he's used. He's he's more of a target man rather than a striker at the moment. And I think. Uh, at, in Bremen themselves, they see that very positively. Um, we see it very positively. We just raised this market value, a Transfermarkt, for example, right? Because we do see him very positively. We do see him as a player that has has shown a lot of improvement um, this season. Um, and sometimes that doesn't really reflect in the numbers. But, you know, we know that interest in Josh Sargent is there. He's a 20-year-old striker who's playing regular numbers in one of the world's four best leagues. Um, there's other teams in Germany, there's England as well that are interested. Um, the question is, would Werder Bremen really be interested to sell him? Um, good question. We will probably find out in the summer. All right. I have, I have one more like negative one, and then hopefully we can end on a positive. But I do want to ask about Schalke for a moment. Uh, currently bottom of the table, lost 1-0 to fellow relegation candidates Armenia Bielefeld. Is there anything they can do in January to turn things around? Or maybe if not, then like how hopeless do you think their situation is at present? Oh, it's bad. <laughs> That's kind of what I figured. Really I kind of figured like, this could be answered as like, yeah, they're probably getting relegated. We can move on. I just can't see it. Um, I just can't see it. We, we, it's, it's it's interesting because that was literally our topic on our earlier yep. show today. And uh, it's I feel like for you and me, it's bad. also the topic of will Lucien Favre be sacked and what's going on with Schalke are like the two yeah, but, kind of reliable topics. Schalke is kind of like watching the Titanic sink in slow motion, <laughs> <laughs> and we're at the point now where the lights are going out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And oh, then, man. You know, 
and then sooner or later it's going to break up and it's just going to sink. Um, it's, it's really bad. And, um, it's really bad in so many ways that we, I don't think a lot of people at the club or people watching the Bundesliga understand yet, because there's always this comparison to Hamburg, right? Or this giant of a club that's got relegated, um, after many years of mismanagement and, and now struggling in Bundesliga too, and possibly can go up again this year, you know, after years of finally sorting themselves out. Um, what people don't understand though, is the difference between Gelsenkirchen, where Schalke is, and Hamburg. Hamburg is a super rich city. You know, it's together with Munich and Berlin, that's the top three cities in Germany. Economically, the financial power, one of the financial powerhouses of Europe. Uh, excuse my French, but there will always be an idiot that will put money into Hamburg as well. Right? Gelsenkirchen is one of the most structurally weak cities in Germany. It's like the Detroit of Germany. It's they, the industry has moved on. There isn't much going on. Um, it's it's a place where there isn't a lot of money. The only person that was willing to literally sink money into the club um, had to leave because of racism issues. Clemens Tönnies, right? Um, there is no one. There isn't exactly people screaming, um, wanting to rescue this club from its financial demise. So if they go down with their hundred and I think 180 million euros debt. There's no one going to be there that says like, oh, here's my wallet. I'll, I'll, I'll rescue you. That's just not going to happen. So I often compare it to the situation that Kaiserslautern are in, right? Kaiserslautern, same situation, very weak structurally, so they're very small. Once that club went down, they stayed down. And then they struggled for years to get into back into the Bundesliga, and they're now in the third division. And this, I, I hate to be Mr. Doom and Gloom, but that's the path Schalke are on right now. And, you know, we know this. No club is too big to fail. Look at Sunderland in the UK, right? Yeah. Um, and that's actually Sunderland is another great comparison to Schalke because, again, very similar city, right? Structurally weak. Um, you know, yeah, they have found another billionaire that's willing to put money into it. But it's just that it's not like, you know, you're a club in London where the investors are just screaming to come in and like wanting to put money into it. It's not it's not the same. And I think that's that that's that's what worries me the most about Schalke. And I look at their squad right now, the few players that they have that are worth keeping, they will probably have to sell when they get relegated. And then the the, the mass of players that they have, there's a whole bunch of very young, talented players, but we have no idea if they're going to survive in Bundesliga too. And it, um yeah. Is it, this it's, to some extent the problem with fifty plus one? That like Sunderland, if you buy that club, there's an idea that you put enough money in them, you can get back to the Premier League ideally, and then you're raking in the money. Whereas with Schalke, even if you put that money in, it's going to be difficult to have complete ownership, to have complete control, to do the things you want to do. So like, does, in this case, 50 plus 1 potentially hold them back a little bit? It probably does. Um, I would say it does. Huh. But it's also Gelsenkirchen, you know. Um, so don't take a vacation there is what you're saying. Don't go to yeah. Gelsenkirchen for a vacation. I, I really don't like to be um, this frank about another city, but it's just not a nice place. <laughs> you know, it's um, you know how sometimes in old industrial cities have at yeah. least have some charm of old in the industry. They don't even have that, and I mean it's no mistake that most of the players live in Düsseldorf, right? Um, and that's hard. And I, I love what I do love about the city is that people that are there they really care. And that's the horrible part, right? The people that are there, they really care. Um, and that's, I think, what hurts 
for the fans mm. because you know you are you as a person you care about this club you're making the effort a city that has obvious problems and um to see your club being mismanaged like that because you know it means so much more for people there right and, and that's that's what pains me but he, i saw it with kaiserslautern it was exactly the same thing you know the exact same problems and um you could just they could just not they don't have the financial structure to stay alive i i i just you know having it all seen before it just strikes me how similar it is and that's really worrying if you are a schalke fan well then uh let's hope schalke fans are okay listening to that but let's try to end on a slightly happier note i wanted to ask you which team has been more impressive for whatever reason uh stuttgart currently seventh in the table managed by american pellegrino Matarazzo. that would be a fine answer but i think uh union berlin union berlin also having a stronger season than i think i would have expected i don't know where you were on them but which of those two teams do you think has been more impressive i guess your answer could be they're both equally impressive if you want to go that route I would say that. I would okay. say equally impressive. It's very hard to pick one because um, I did pick them both as the winners of this first part of the season. Oh, cool. Um, then let's um, talk about why. Why are they both winners? Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> the sixth and seventh, you know, uh, on Union Berlin, yeah. uh, it's not supposed to be the, the big city club, um, Hertha, who are 14th. They're doing it I their kind of way. I forgot that they were that far ahead of them. Wow, yeah. crazy. Okay, cool. Yeah. With all the money that they spend, one of the biggest spenders in Europe, right? Ahead of Berlin. And Union doing it the organic way and doing very well and playing really good football. You know, taking points off Bayern and Dortmund um, despite not having fans in the stadium. I think that's that's been fantastic to watch. And they lost Max Kruse to a very serious injury as well. And they're still playing fantastic football. I think that is that is commendable. Um, Stuttgart, I am extremely impressed by Pellegrino Matarazzo. And, um, I screamed injustice when they did the FIFA best coaching awards. Um, first of all, when they gave it to Klopp rather than Flick, but also what the heck is Marcelo Bielsa doing there? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is a manager who spent in the region of 200 million euros to get a big club like Leeds United back in the Premier League. And he's sitting 14th now. Um, Pellegrino Matarazzo did the same thing with no money at Stuttgart and he's seventh. So where, where is he in the vote? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all for Americans getting more recognition for their coaching. Abilities. I mean, Let's make that happen. That's, that's the power of the Premier League right there. In my opinion, you know, that, that a coach like Bielsa was done with money you know, he's basically a cheap Beppo Guardiola. And I understand that Tactics Twitter is probably going to scream the heads off right now. But it's true. He spent the most, he's, what was the sixth most money in the transfer window worldwide in the last, in the last summer. Um, and that doesn't even include um, the money that he spent going into the league in the first place. So, yeah, great, good achievement. But Pellegrino Materazzo spent no money, got into the Bundesliga, is playing wonderful football with very young squad you know it's a joy to watch beat Borussia Dortmund 5-1 I bet Bielsa can't do that um, and we're not talking about it enough on this continent like, he's probably the best American coach on the planet at the moment just let that sink in in a moment is there any other coach in any top 4 league in Europe that is in the top 7 I don't think so no and yet we're not talking about him and that's a real shame because he's doing fantastic work 
So let's see people then f- listening to this podcast decide they're going to watch Stuttgart this weekend. Final question for you. Like, what should they be looking for? What's the style of soccer they're going to be tuning in for? Oh, it's, it's going to be fast. It's going to be direct. Um, lots of young players. If, if uh, <laughs> Challenge anyone to say this name correct. Wamangituka. I practiced this so many times to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he also goes by Silas, which is much easier to say. But he's a wonderful player. Koulibaly is another one. Um, Nico Gonzalez, uh, who might leave the club at some point. Um, to, to hear some really big offers from from other teams. Um, but, you know, they convinced them to stay a little longer. Um, yeah, it's it's a really fun club to watch. And um, the game against against Borussia Dortmund was a great example. If they if they spot a weakness, then they will take it. They played really well against Bayern too. This is a game that they narrowly lost. Yeah, so it's this is this is a team that um I I think is not getting enough attention. Um including from us. Like we didn't give them enough attention either. You know, it took us pretty much till now to actually yeah. give them some attention. And it's 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 really a shame because I think it's it's a team that's fun to watch and people should be paying more attention to what Pellegrino Materazzo is doing right now in Stuttgart. Well, they've got Leipzig this coming weekend. Uh, they're hosting oh, them. So be a great game. Yeah, so there we go. That's the game to watch, I think, in the Bundesliga this weekend. There are some other decent ones. Dortmund, Wolfsburg comes to mind. But yeah, okay. Let's go with Stuttgart-Leipzig, and next time we'll talk more about Matarazzo. But for now, uh, Manuel, thank you so much for, for taking all the time to say the nice things about Daryl, uh, but then also to say some nice things about some Bundesliga teams and some realistic things about some other Bundesliga teams. Not mean, <laughs> just realistic. It's always a pleasure to come on the show. And uh, thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure as well, listeners. uh, Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again tomorrow.